and welcome to the Happy Yoga Podcast with me, your host, Joe Hutton. And in this podcast, we talk about all things yoga and all things to make your mind a happier place to live in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this episode. We're going to be talking about the Yoga Sutras in this episode. We're going to be talking about where they're from, who wrote them and why they're important to modern yoga. So let's get started. The Yoga Sutras are basically a manual for reaching enlightenment. They are a written out guide to how to practice yoga so that anybody, and this is very radical, anybody can reach enlightenment. Why that's radical is because even in a modern context, even until very recently, the idea that anybody at any time could reach enlightenment was a shocking thing because normally it would be people reserved, you know, it would be people with certain power or people with certain status. So to say that, like, it doesn't matter what sex, what caste, what class, who your dad was, any of that, and that actually just any human being can reach enlightenment is a very, very shocking thing to say, really. And it it, it basically outlines not just the path to enlightenment through yoga, but also it works as a kind of map of human consciousness. So it's like this idea of of what different states do we have in our mind as humans and also what are the barriers to reaching enlightenment that every human has. So what are the states of discontent in our minds what are the things that make our minds jumbled up and sad and and upset how can we decode them and reach a state of peace and enlightenment so it works as a path but also as a map and where this is really interesting is that well all of it is interesting but it it meets modern science quite nicely because right at the cutting edge of science at the moment is human consciousness. So because we are developing things like AIs, we're developing things like, you know, clones. Well, I don't know. I, I remember that sheep. We, we did a sheep once, didn't we? I don't know whether we're still ethically making clones, but you, we're growing organs in labs. We're doing lab meat. We're like, you know, as we're, as we are able to create life as humans now at the cutting edge of science this question about what is consciousness what counts as consciousness and how is it mapped is at the cutting edge of science right now so i think that it's really interesting that it's where the old meets the new and the yoga sutras is definitely a really interesting book so even if you're not interested in the yoga aspect even if you're not interested in like the philosophical aspect just as a way to understand your mind is really um is a really interesting book. So where does this book come from? Well, the answer is we don't really know. And the reason why we don't know is because it was such a long 
time ago. And obviously India is such a massive country. There's so many different stories. There's so many different histories. There's so many different cultures. There's a lot of things that have been lost. There's things that have been deliberately destroyed by colonising nations, i.e. the British. You know, it was such a long time ago there wasn't a print in Paris. So a lot of the history has been passed down by word of mouth. So, And also, just the way that we understand texts has changed a great deal. So as a modern reader, we tend to see a text through the lens of wanting to know exactly who the author was and about the author's life. So if you do GCSE English, if you're looking at Shakespeare, you're going to be asked questions about, well, who was Shakespeare? What did he believe? You'll be like, oh, he was a Protestant in the whatever century. I should probably have looked this up before I start this podcast. And he believed this. And so when he says this about women, this is what he means, because this was the understanding of women at the time. And that's kind of how we interpret texts it's very difficult for a modern reader to take the author away from the the writing or the artwork the 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 artist because what the artist meant is kind of the lens that we see work through that's how we kind of understand texts and art and things as a modern audience and that isn't how it used to be so it's very difficult for us when looking at ancient things and when we're looking at things from cultures that maybe we're not we're not from it's very difficult for us to ever experience them through a lens that isn't the lens that we have because our lens is the only way that we have to see the world i hope that makes sense as well with the translations of the yoga sutras we there's a lot of concepts in the yoga sutras that don't necessarily exist in the english language so some of the concepts we've kind of had to decode through through the things that already exist within our language. When you're reading it, it's very tempting to be like, oh, that's a little bit like this, but it's only like that because that's the way that we've got to understand it. And it's very important that we allow that to exist on its own and we don't just kind of dilute it through the knowledge that we already have. That was a bit of a rambling. I don't know if that made any sense, but what I'm trying to say is that when the Yoga Sutras were first interpreted or translated into English it was interpreted through it was interpreted through a Christian lens humans can only explain concepts with the languages with the language that we have so we're very constrained we're very constrained by language because it's very difficult to for me to articulate something to you that without using the English language and if that thing doesn't exist in the English language then it it'll have to be interpreted in a way that maybe isn't exactly what the original meaning was. Bit of a side note. So what we do know is that the author ascribed to the Yoga Sutras is called Patanjali. And we also know that it was written sometime between 2 BCE and 4 CE. So that might not seem like that long, like that, that oh between two and four that's not that long but remember that we're jumping across time zones there so it's actually 600 years so the time that we can say that this was written 
the window is 600 years. And to put that into context, 600 years ago from now was 1422. So 1422, I believe, again, I should probably have Googled this before I did this, but I'm pretty sure 1422 is around about the medieval times. <laughs> and think about how much our understanding of the world, how much our cultures have changed, how much our, our shared mythology has changed within that 600 years. So we're not saying that this was written 600 years ago. What we're saying is that is the window that it might have been written in. So when we're talking about times, when we're having these conversations around the ancient texts and um, the philosophies, we are talking about timescales that our brains, well, my brain, can't even comprehend. For me, that just goes, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and I can't really, I don't know about you, but my brain doesn't really differentiate between 600 years ago and 3,000 years ago. Like, it's all just a long time ago to me. But I just wanted to put that into context of how long, when we're talking about ancient texts, we're talking about ancient texts, like really, really, really long time ago. So when we're, so when we're trying to understand the culture and the context of the time, it's pretty much impossible to do because we just don't have any understanding of it from a modern point of view. But I quite like that because what, for me, one of the things that I find difficult about being human is a sense of being on my own. So, you know, you, you live as a human on your own, you're completely in your own head, no one will ever understand what it's like to be you, there's only one you, you're unique and we are, we are constrained by language and communication but we'll never ever be able to quite experience what it's like to be someone else and someone else will never be able to completely understand what it's like to be you and I find that you know I'm sure everyone does that's like oh having one of the things about being human so what I like about the yoga sutras and these philosophies from a long time ago and I actually like it when it comes to not just the not just Indian but also you know like the Roman times the Greek times all religious writings where it's somebody trying to understand the world what I love is I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. So even though I'm experiencing this humanness as one person, I'm also part of humanity. There are some things about being human that everybody experiences. So even though you are individually experiencing being you, you are also part of a human experience, which I just find really comforting. Some of the things in the Yoga Sutras that are like, you, you're going to find this difficult about your brain when you're trying to meditate. And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do find that difficult. And I'm like, really struck by how that joins me to other people. I don't know if that makes sense. But I'm like, oh, my brain isn't broken. It's just human which I, I really, really like. So Patanjali, the, the writer of the Yoga Sutras, we don't know if it was a person. Obviously, somebody at some point wrote it, but there's a mythology around who wrote it. So who actually individually wrote it doesn't really matter. So what was really common in Indian, ancient Indian times was that there would be a pseudonym 
So a writer would appear again and again. So there would be texts written by a name, but that name would appear again and again. So Patanjali hasn't just written the Yoga Sutras. They also wrote a book about grammar and they wrote they wrote sutras about like wellness as well. So like medicine. But the, those things are supposed to have been written like centuries apart. So it's obviously not just one person who's written it. It's like a pseudonym that comes back again and again. And that happened quite a lot in ancient times, not just in India, but it happened a lot where name, a pseudonym would appear again and again, having written things, but like centuries apart. And the mythology around who potentially is, is actually depends. Again, there's lots of conflict messages as there would be as it's thousands and thousands of years old. So obviously there's going to be conflict messages, but the most common one is that Pat means serpent and Anjali is a mudra. So a mudra is something that you do with your hands. A mudra is like a symbol that you do with your hands to invite certain things in during prayer or meditation. And the Anjali mudra is where you put your hands together at the front of the chest. So if you imagine somebody placing their hands together at the end of a yoga class and bowing, that would be an Anjali mudra. So when you place your hands together and then you place them at your chest, it's probably the most common, like if you imagine someone doing a mudra, like it's it's a one that's used again and again. It's not just, it's not just used in a yoga setting. You know, if you're bowing, placing your hands together and then putting your thumbs kind of at your sternum, that's probably used across cultures. So Anjali, the Anjali Mudra is that when you do that with your hands and Pat means serpent. And the mythology is that Vishnu, who is a Hindu god, his serpent fell from the sky into a woman's hands as she was meditating with her hands in Anjali. And Patanjali, this serpent, half man, half serpent, serpent gave her the gift of the knowledge of how to attain yoga so the yoga sutras were like a gift from the gods to the humans to show them how to reach enlightenment and they fell from the sky onto a woman and so that's patanjali means serpent and then that hand mudra and it came fully formed and that was the yoga sutras sutra basically means a combination of knowledge so it's like it's kind of like a text written in order to impart some knowledge and the sutras there's four of them so the yoga sutras are split into four and the different sutras the four different sutras map out the the path to enlightenment so within the yoga sutras they talk about something called the eight limbs of yoga and that is the path to yoga distilled down is the eight limbs and this is probably where most modern yoga classes take their yoga from so obviously there are exceptions to the rule there are definitely yoga classes that will have a lineage from the Bhagavad Gita there'll definitely be other lineages but I would say the majority of modern yoga classes probably come from the eight limbs of yoga in the west in now obviously that might not be true my knowledge again there is always an issue with knowledge because you can only know what you know. So I don't know whether that's true of yoga in different parts of the world, but definitely the yoga that that I experience in the northeast of England is most of it comes most of it comes from the eight limbs of yoga. And these eight limbs, I'm going to talk about in more detail. So the next couple of episodes are going to be me breaking down the different limbs of yoga, but these limbs are. 
they start from the outside. So they start from the outside world and they basically move inwards to yourself. So they start from the outside and then you kind of move inwards to more um, to more stillness, basically. And the eight limbs are, it starts with your restraints. So things that you shouldn't do. So there's five of them. I'll go into more detail. I don't have time to do it in this episode unless you want like a 10 year episode, but I'll the next episode's going to be about the uh, restraints. There's five of them and there are five things that you shouldn't do if you want to be peaceful enough to move on to the next one. And then the next one is the observances. So things that you should do, things that you should observe in your everyday life. Then you have the asana. So that's your, the movements of your physical body. Then you have the pranayama. So pranayama is your breathing techniques and breath and prana is the link between the outside and the inside world. So if you think about your breath, when you're breathing in, you're literally taking the universe and bringing it into you, and then you're bringing you back out into the universe. So the breath is seen as the link between the outside and the inside world. Then we have withdrawal of the senses. So the withdrawal of the senses is basically moving your attention from the outside world to the inside world. So we're not being um, we're not being distracted by pleasure and noises and, and bright lights. And we're, we're, we're moving away from this need to always have things from outside of ourselves. And we're withdrawing the senses inwards so that we can start to observe our inner state. Then we have concentration, so concentrating on one thing, so being able to meditate and hold your concentration on one thing at a time, oh, really hard, <laughs> it's probably the hardest one for me. And then we have meditative absorption, so with this you're not just concentrating on one thing, you're not concentrating on anything, you're just able to sit there and exist, so you're not having to be distracted or put your mind on one object, you can literally just sit and you're, you're not being distracted by thoughts or anything. You're just able to sit and exist. And then the last one is santosha, which means contentment. And it's just, again, it's it's being able to exist, but it's being able to exist in a state of bliss. So that feeling of being at one with the universe. So we've probably all experienced that. We're probably all sat on holiday or we've probably like had a moment where we've been, it, it sometimes just sneaks up on you where you're like, Oh, and you probably notice it in the aftermath as well. So you're probably not noticing it at the time, but afterwards you're like, oh, I was really content there. I just had a moment of just complete bliss. And that's the last of the limbs. So I hope you enjoyed that. Hope you found it in interesting. If you have any questions about anything that I've said, please do get in touch. The next episode is going to be all about the restraints. And I'm probably going to have to break that into more than one episode. So see you soon. Bye. The Happy Yoga Podcast was brought to you by me, Joe Hutton. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and you're always welcome to join the community. So follow the link in the show notes if you want to be part of the community. Bye!